0: The first lesson this morning comes to us from Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then it was said among nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. And we rejoiced. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the watercourses of the negrab. May those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. Those who go out weeping, bearing the seed of sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, carrying their sheaves. And from the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Listen for the word of God as it touches your hearts, minds, and souls. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary, Mary, took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. 166 years ago, ago, folks had the idea of beginning the First Presbyterian Church here in Lake City. They were so devoted, so caring, so, so faithful. They gave up a lot. They, they sacrificed a lot and they had a lot of faith. I marvel still today. I marvel that it still exists here and what God is doing through all you all in the ministries that, that you perform. I get the sense, I get the sense of something new in the air. And it isn't just this spray. I get the sense of something new in the air, a new purpose, a a renewed purpose like like never before. I wonder, do you feel the same thing? Do you feel the same thing? There seems to be a new pop or a bounce in everyone's step, or at least the ones that have sketchers. Do Do you feel it? Do you feel it? It appears to me... It appears to me that there's a new vision, if you would, a a new horizon, new opportunities to minister. And God has blessed us with a great staff, a wonderful leadership team. And as I look out at all y'all, it dawns on me that God isn't looking just to fill up the pews on Sunday mornings. But is looking to build an army of believers. An army of believers to defend the faith. An army that requires varied talents, varied ministries, and passionate, committed people. Every single one of you has been given by God gifts, talents, abilities to accomplish the goals that are set out by God. Those things that are tucked inside of you are just waiting to burst outward. They are unique to you and because they are, are unique to you, God chooses to use you to do wondrous things to further God's kingdom. And none of those talents, none of them is insignificant, absolutely none of them. From tending to the gardens, to looking after the columbarium, to cutting grass to cleaning bathrooms, to serving meals, to doing mission outreach, to teaching Sunday school, to serving on committees, to serving on session, to pre- playing in the band, to playing in the band, to singing in the choir, to working in the technology in the back, to giving the message. When all of that is put together, it makes up the body of Christ. And we are are stronger together than going about the ministries individually on our own. From the smallest effort to the greatest effort, all the work to further the kingdom of God. Like I said, ministries are tucked inside of each and every one of us and the way God wants to use you is not the same way as God wants to use me and that's not better or worse, it's just different. And we're all meant to do what we're called and led to do. And it all makes the kingdom of God even better. So keep on doing what you've been doing because you're crushing it. Keep, keep reinvesting God's miracles in your life for the future ministries of this church another 166 years from now. But the text this morning, the text this morning is a testimony to the small acts that mean a great deal. A sacrifice to glorify God and God's kingdom. Do do you remember, and Lee might know this better than any of us, do you remember the day you were caught by God, to use a fishing analogy? Do you remember the bait, the bait that attracted you? Perhaps it was the music, perhaps it was a sermon. Perhaps it was James' Sunday school class. Maybe it was how Dr. Mont performed his baptisms. What, what was the bait that attracted you and got you hooked? And got you hooked. Every organization has its cycle. You, you have an idea or the entrepreneurial stage. I call that the garage phase. The sky's the limit. Then you have the, that expansion stage where... Ugh, Man, you have to put on buildings, you have, to, you have to make the facility bigger, you have to get everything going bigger and bigger and bigger. Then that shows you your growth and your excitement. And when you come off of that peak, you begin a downward trend. And economists would call that a recession or a downturn. And if you don't make changes, if you don't make changes, then, then it heads into a depression and or a trough. Most churches today are in that trough. The technical term is called a growth rate cycle. When you long for the good old days, and you're generally, looking, you're generally in the trough looking back to the recession, and, it, and that is the crossroad between success and failure, there's always that temptation to look back or be comfortable with the way things used to be, or how they looked, or how they were. In a sense, you long for the bait that you used to taste. But bait doesn't last forever, friends, and churches tend to begin to take it easy and resist moving forward. They like it just the way it is. They like it just the way things are. Easy peasy, you can go on automatic pilot. You don't have to turn the plane. You don't have to direct the boat. To make it another, to make point the other way, every church, every single one, is in one of three phases: risk taking, caretaking, and undertaking. The, the risk-taking phase is, is that scrappy, go-get-em phase, that, that full of vim and vigor, that full of fire, that full of ambition, let's, uh, full of hope and vision. Uh, we're going to go take the flag. It then gets easy to shift once things are going good. It gets easy to shift into the caretaking stage. The things are status quo. I feel really good. I feel comfortable. I like it here, I could stay here forever. I could sing old rugged cross every Sunday. How great thou art, oh my, yes. And we need to protect it, oh my, we need to protect it at any cost. This is the way it's always been done. Stage. The temptation is that we would think that the bait always should taste this good and catch everybody. Catch everyone, but we fail to realize that the bait is not for us anymore. The bait's not for us anymore. We've been caught. You and I have been caught. It's for those that are still left in the water. It's not for the ones in the boat. We're in the boat. But it's ones in the sea. Most churches begin the undertaking stage because the bait doesn't taste good to them anymore. Music isn't just like the way it used to be. The preacher doesn't preach like it used to be. Oh, gosh, nobody comes to church anymore. And that brings me back to the text. Bet you were wondering when I'd get back to the text. That nard, that nard, that perfume, that that aroma that anointing oil. Judas claims it should have been sold and not used in this way. We've always sold those things and we've given it to the poor in my pocket. Mary was called to use it in a different way, a different ministry, a new purpose. Judas was looking back instead of looking forward. In fact, do you remember, do you remember the epic miracle when time stood still in Joshua's long day. Do you remember that epic miracle? What an incredible miracle. Time stood still. But but that miracle is being repeated in a lot of churches all over the country, where time stands still. Stuck in the moment, perhaps waiting for a potluck dinner from 2,000 years ago, when Jesus invited Zacchaeus to come to dinner. In fact, most churches are trying to relive not, not, not Joshua's day, but Hezekiah's time when time went backwards. Mary saw the need and a new opportunity. She was looking forward. Jesus, Judas was looking backwards. You see, you see this, this story is not only about Mary's preparation of Jesus for his death, but also about Judas Iscariot's objection to what he considers a waste of money. That could have been better used if it had been given to the poor but this church isn't like that this church is full of vim and vigor like I said this church is looking forward but nothing begins a conversation like an extravagant gift if the church treasurer announces a large donation the atmosphere in the room will change on the surface, our story this morning sounds very similar to the other anointing stories in the Gospels. In Luke, it raises moral issues, moral issues about the woman who anoints, while in Mark, it reminds us that we can always show kindness to the poor. In the narrative this morning, in the text this morning, Mary anoints Jesus with costly perfume. But it's Jesus, Judas who's exposed and John, John the disciple, cuts him absolutely no slack. No slack whatsoever, revealing Judas to be a hypocrite and a thief, even before he betrays his Lord. We're being asked to reflect on the attitudes surrounding an extravagant gift. A gift may provoke suspicion about motives. Why in the world would they give that kind of money? Others will complain that generosity skews all the prevailing complacency. Ha! What do they want with that money? A few may perceive that any criticism of the generosity is a wonderful way to dodge its power. Some of us should also come clean about money and its enticing power over us. A colleague of mine and Joan knows him well. A, co- a colleague of mine, Reverend Bill Carter of Clark, Clark Summit Presbyterian Church uh, up in Clark Summit, Pennsylvania, uh, up at the presbytery I used to be in, we served on the council uh, together. He told us a story at one of those council meetings around stewardship time, and I'm going to never, I'm never going to forget it. The furor that he sparked at this meeting. He tells a story that at the stewardship conference that he had just attended with a group of pastors and lay people who were gathered to discuss generosity, One one of the presenters spoke about offering a gift directly to God. I'm going to give this gift directly to God. And the clergy rolled their eyes really? And then he pulled out a hundred dollar bill out of his wallet. Notice I didn't pull out a hundred dollar bill. Then he pulled a hundred dollar bill from his wallet and he set it on fire and he placed it in the ashtray and prayed Lord I offer this gift to you and you alone. The reaction was charged. Folks began to fidget in their chairs watching that crisp hundred dollar bill go up in flames and smoke as if it were perfume one whispered it was illegal to burn currency another was heard to mumble under his breath if he's going to burn all of his money perhaps he has a few more hundreds in his wallet that he can give to me I know what to do with them there was nervous laughter around the room and the speaker asked don't you understand don't you understand I'm offering it to God and that means it's going to cease being useful for the rest of us useful to me it's in God's hands yes a hundred dollar bill up in smoke it was an anxious and pivotal moment I know it's strange to be talking on this Sunday in Lent about generosity and giving. I generally only do that during stewardship season or just before an offering. But a woman, a woman named Mary, wasted perfume on Jesus. And we can speculate all the reasons in the world, particularly when we hear the description of how she wiped his feet with her hair. Because of the literary context, we can surmise that she felt grateful for her brother's restoration. If, as Jesus suggests, she purchased it for the day of his burial, the gift was not only six days premature, but it was unnecessary after his resurrection. But Jesus would use that gift later as he was anointed, The aroma of that nard permeated the air, stayed on his robe. As he was arrested, the police could smell it. As he went to trial, after he was kneeling on the floor, Caiaphas could smell it. When they went to Pilate, Pilate too, when he asked what is truth? Pilate could smell it. And as they nailed our Savior to the cross, the soldiers could smell it. As he hung with the thieves, the thieves could smell it. As Joseph of Arimathea. Took him off of the cross and wrapped him in the white linen cloth. He could smell it. The aroma, the aroma of love, the aroma of love. That's what cooked Jesus through these next six days the aroma of love. Curiously, Jesus does not make or take an issue with the temporary nature of the gift. He declares it to be appropriate in the moment, particularly in the light of his impending death. He he is gracious enough to receive it with gratitude. Folks, a lot of extravagant gifts are being put into the air, yet even today. Our church choir labors for hours prepare an intricate anthem and three minutes later it's gone. The Sunday school teacher prepares the lesson, stands to deliver it and 45 minutes later the class is adjourned and they move on. Mourners provide large arrangements for flowers to honor those whom they grieve. Saints donate large sums of money for their congregations to spend a pastor will spend 20 hours preparing a sermon and yet hopefully in 15 minutes it's done why do they do this? why do we do these things that evaporate? love love has its reasons and to reflect on the miracle of generosity will lead us to reflect on Jesus Because Jesus is always providing blessed abundance. At Cana, 180 gallons of water were turned into wine. And even more than the wedding crowd can consume. 5,000 hungry people are led and fed by the Sea of Galilee. Yet, there are 12 baskets of leftovers remaining. After fishing all night, without results, Simon Peter is instructed by the risen Christ to cast his net on the other side of the boat. And immediately, 153 large fish jump into the net. As John states, Jesus is is the one through whom everything has been made. And there is an abundance wherever he is present. As As Mary generously anoints him, he tells her critics... Leave her alone. Leave her alone. You see, generosity breeds generosity. Judas can criticize Mary for what she has done, but the story parenthetically exposes his hypocrisy. Folks, either we love generously and completely, or we do not. Either we are already engaged in providing for the poor or we are secretly hoarding what might otherwise be shared. Much of modern religion focuses only on what is useful, what is practical, what is cost effective, concern for austerity, penny-pinching, and belt-tightening arises when resources Appear to be slim for us, we lose our faith that God can do anything. Yes, when it comes to the life of faith, we may discover our hearts are diminished. If the budget is our first concern, should we live spendthrift lives? No. Can we justify the wasting of God's gifts? Absolutely not. But long before a gift can be wasted, it must be first given and then received. You see, Jesus is the gift of God. And Jesus is sent into the world that did not request him. Yet he acts entirely for its benefit He consistently acts on his own terms, always revealing the grace, love, and truth of God. Lazarus was raised from the dead on Jesus' timetable and not in response to his sister's wishes. Similarly, Jesus will lay down his life for us, will lay his life down for you and me, because he he is not asked to do so, but because he chooses to give himself. We, you and I, are called to remember that act. Jesus died on the cross for all of our sins, not some of us, and not for some of our sins, but all of them. All people, all sins, And then rose to eternal life after that death so we might live. And we are baptized in the Spirit to be united together as the body of Christ. So let's together, together, as a baptized body of Christ, baptized in the triune God, gather around this table, His table, and partake in the meal that He prepares for us to eat and drink and celebrate in amen hello this is Pastor Ken Goodrich and I'm humbled that you took the time to listen to this podcast. I pray that the Holy Spirit moves you to ministry and that if you don't have a church home that you are able to find one. please feel free to tune in on Tuesdays at 10 am and Wednesdays at twelve 20 pm for our Bible studies on Thursdays at 10 am for our Learning Center courses and Of course, on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. for our worship. Just go to fpclc.org to see all our various programs and events. Thanks again, and God bless you and keep you safe. May God embrace you and keep you in his countenance. Peace.